0: up a chair and join us at the energy Roundtable. welcome to energy Roundtable, where lisa and i debate
1: talk about discuss unpack the energy news that we uh, care about or read about uh, in the following in the prior week lisa welcome to the round table
2: thank you matt how are you today
1: couldn't be better at you
2: i'm great no complaints yeah
1: are we gonna have physical articles today or is it all electronic
2: uh, I do have some physical and some electronic, but right. but I just I just happened to print them because I wanted to make some notes.
1: Oh, so uh, that that was
2: take, old fashioned that way.
1: You didn't take scissors to uh to the Toronto Star. Right?
2: <laughs> no, no, not today. These ones are not from the Toronto Star. They're both fo- focused on Toronto, mind you, but uh, okay. not not from the Toronto Star today.
1: Well, why don't, Why don't you start us off?
2: Okay, sure. So uh, my first article is titled "Canada's Largest Geo Exchange System is Being Built Hundreds of Meters Below Toronto." Uh, it is from BlogTO. Actually, both of my articles, I think, are from BlogTO. Yes, they are. Uh, so this first one is about a uh, astounding scale project, as they as they refer to it as, which is being built um, deep below the University of Toronto's St. George Campus. Uh, it is essentially geo, a geothermal project, uh, and it's part of their ambitious climate plan. And, of course, they're, they're highlighting the fact that you'd never know that, it, you know, all this work is taking place based on the work that's, that's taking place above ground. Um, it is. There are 370 wells uh, that are being uh, bored below the center of um, King's College Circle. And just a couple of interesting facts. The U-shaped pipes that will be inserted into the boreholes will form a closed loop filled with a mixture of glycol and water. It'll be linked to the network of heat pumps serving U of T buildings. And the pipes reach a staggering depth of 250 meters, which is a few meters shy of the TD Canada Trust Tower's height. And if you linked all of the piping end to end it would span approximately 185 kilometers wow yeah long enough they say to transverse the distance between toronto and london ontario so i mean I, i i give the article a thumbs up um Mainly because, and the article talks a little bit about this, but it's you know a lot of people think about geothermal as decarbonizing, you know new buildings and you know being installed in new buildings. But this is obviously more of a historic um, historic building that they're uh, they're looking to decarbonize. So I give it a thumbs up for that. And the other piece that I really like that the article also talks about is that apparently they're planning to color code the pipes. so it'll be easier to understand which ones do what. Uh And because, of course, you know, they do have an engineering program, their engineering students won't just be reading about geoexchange; they'll actually be able to, you know, physically see how it works. So I I like that because, you know, we've talked about some of the campuses that we uh, we've been involved with over the years that have cogen. Same thing. You know, if you can show somebody something and talk about something in real life, it just makes all the, the difference over just seeing it in a textbook. So I give it a thumbs up.
1: Yeah, and and I I love it too. I think it's thumbs up for sure. The news story. I think part of geothermal. Often we think you know it's you got to go out right, but to really figure out how to go deep in a congested area of of Toronto, right in the heart of Toronto, essentially is where that campus is. That's very very impressive, right? And yeah. so very 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 cool. They can fit that in and and tie it into existing our you know infrastructure. Your point about it you know not being only reserved for new buildings. That's a that's a valid point, right? So yeah. and and having you know no fuel costs uh, going forward for that portion of the heat uh is is very exciting so yeah uh great uh moving to a warmer climate um my article is from uh, smartenergydecisions.com and the title is bacardi sets goal to lower ghg by 50 percent now i'm not necessarily a rum guy um i'm more of a whiskey uh guy but um you know I, i i like to you know, head to warmer climates, especially in the middle of <laughs> February here in uh, in North in North America. But uh, Bacardi is putting in a combined heat and power system uh, in Puerto oh. Rico, their distillery in Puerto Rico. So, uh, and that will reduce their GHG emissions by 50%. Th- this goes to show you how contextual energy is, right? So they're getting off of heavy fuel oil, um, you know, and moving to to a much cleaner fuel um propane which is you know for for us in our context that's surprising that that's that's you know where they're going to and calling it cleaner um but they're also tying um biogas so they would i think they okay. will take the waste streams from their rum producing process and and make biogas and then the biogas uh can run you know the the uh the chp and the chp of course in a distilling application will make both electricity and heat uh for the distilling process and so um you know for Bacardi their senior vice president Ned Duggan says as a brand and as a company we're committed to doing the right thing for the planet um so um and and you know I think they are in some ways in those Caribbean countries more attuned to that right like they're a bit more exposed to the realities of climate change and how that impacts things and so here they are on the front lines doing that and so you know the next time you raise a glass or something with rum in it um it may be made with um, biogas-fueled cogeneration and that's a that's a good thing so
2: that's awesome well i i don't i drink don't drink much rum myself either uh it's like once in a blue moon that i'll have rum and coke and i obviously haven't had anything in like you know eight nine months at this point <laughs> yeah. uh but a couple of questions does the article have a, does it say what size the cogen is
1: does not. It's a little bit uh, vague on some of that. It does not talk about the size.
2: no. Nope. Okay. And I wonder because uh, it's you said propane and biogas, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
2: Uh, so I'm, I'm now I've got uh, and I'm wondering if it's like a rich burn or a lean burn engine or what they're doing there.
1: Maybe some of our friends who listen to the or watch the show can uh, can, can go in the comments and and tell us uh, who yeah. sold, who sold the engine to them.
2: That's who, right. Was, we'd like to know. We'd, we'd like, to like to know. know.
1: Inquiring cool. like to know.
2: Well, I give it a thumbs up, obviously, as well. It's great to hear that. Uh, I mean, I love the fact that there's some biogas part in there as well.
0: Yes. Um,
2: we worked obviously on a propane project as well at uh, Kirkland Lake Gold, was which was then converted over to um, CNG. But so there's a lot, there's a lot that goes on with that fuel and running that in an engine. But yes. um, anyways, yes. it's cool. That's awesome.
1: So let's head back north. You're back in Toronto again with your next. I'm article. back
2: in Toronto. I'm back in Toronto with the uh, the article is tar- is titled "Toronto is getting the largest solar power generating wall in North America." Wall? This is actually pretty close in our backyard. Like from a location perspective, the project's going to be taking place. It doesn't say um, it doesn't say what building it is, but it's an industrial area just north of Rexdale Boulevard in Etobicoke. Okay. Your so, former interesting. That's right, my former yeah. stomping grounds. It's a record-breaking wall from a manufacturer by the name of Mitrex. It's expected to generate 90,000 kilowatt hours of energy for the mm-hmm. building annually. Uh, they su- suggest it's also slashing its carbon footprint in the process. I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, but what's really cool is apparently, and, and this project isn't a great example of it because they say that the the uh, The wall is not really that I'll call it aesthetically pleasing. Like it's nothing kind of funky or crazy, but the company apparently can manufacture these panels in a variety of kind of color variants and looking to look like stone or, um, you know, different types of finishes that you know I think is kind of cool because if you think about you know whether you're, you know, in a residential area, I've I've always hated the look of solar panels on roofs. Like it just looks to me very ugly, especially if you've got you know, a house, and then you've got these massive solar panels, it's different than an industrial building. So if they can, you know, get these, uh, this product to look a lot more like shingles or, you know, just a fancy wall on a building, I think it's great. Um, and apparently the cost is not as astronomical as people would think it would be for this type of a wall. Um, and apparently if, uh, the power is, uh, is manufactured or is is, is uh, supplied through off-grid power generation it's pay- payback of about a couple of years so that was that's kind of interesting um and they do say though that they're in a little bit of an uphill battle this manufacturer against well-established building materials that are being traditionally used in new buildings Uh, Just because developers and contractors are often looking to kind of stick with, you know, products and relationships that they know. But apparently the green, some green energy incentives like the federal funding of 10 billion to the CIB or Canada Infrastructure Bank uh, towards green power projects are among some of the policy moves that they are hoping will sway the industry to kind of make some decisions to use this type of tech in the future. So I, I like kind of where it's heading. Like, I like the, the whole aesthetic piece because, again, I've always found solar PV to be really kind of ugly, generally speaking, unless, of course, you're putting it in a big field or on an industrial building. I'm going to pick a little bit at the carbon footprint piece that the article mentions because mm. it does say, again, just highlighting it, um, expected to generate 90,000 kilowatt hours of energy for the building annually slashing its carbon footprint in the process. I'm assuming that they're getting their power from Toronto Hydro, which, of course, is coming from Hydro One, which, as we all know, you know, currently in the province of Ontario is pretty clean, right? Like with our nuclear generation, this is not talking about, you know, peak power or anything that would require peakers, you know, fired with natural gas. Um, So, yes, the power, you know, mix might look different in Ontario in a couple of years from now when some of the nuclear refurbishments take place. But um, I'm picking on it a little bit because I feel like there's so many people that are really trying to just highlight this carbon reduction piece. And again, we just have to be a little bit wary, like, where is that information coming from? And do you really know what you're talking about when we're talking about carbon reductions? So. If
1: you if you ascribe to the marginal emissions factor theory or, or 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 line of thinking, it's not really a theory; it's a line of thinking. Yeah. I, I can see how solar is displacing electricity or gas on the margin. So I, I kind of whether or not they're thinking that, you know, clearly about it, I don't know. I, I yeah. agree. it is it is something that's thrown around a little bit more too loosely, uh, like lower lowercase liberally than than perhaps yeah. the um which is you know why we need the blockchain to provide you know certainty around all this stuff and that's that's another discussion for another day um, all this talk about a wall it's canada that's paying for it and not mexico is that what is that what i read uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> yes Sorry. correct I, I
1: could i couldn't go there um yeah. so uh, that that's that you know I, I i at the end of the day I, I think it's very exciting when we start to get our built environment to not only be Conserving because we are, you know, more efficient and we're not, you know, wasting energy. But actually, gener, you know, converting it. You can't generate energy; it's, it's not, not generated, but it's converted. But so converting it and harnessing it um, passively or proactively, like this, that's, you know, not, now we're talking some really exciting stuff. So.
2: Yeah, and I think about, you know, those types of projects that can eventually, hopefully, put power back on the grid too, and and you know, help with uh, with that, just like they do in Germany, right? Like or other right. places in the world. So.
1: Totally, yeah. Um, so going from Toronto to uh, kind of expanding across Canada, uh, my article is Lafarge Canada signs wind PPA. Uh, and so the announcement here is that Lafarge Canada has entered into a PPA with our friends at uh, Transalta Corporation. So they're going to oh. buy, they're going to buy 100 gigawatt hours a year of wind uh, power. So it's uh, electricity to their Exshaw cement plant. Um, oh, so wow. Do you know that facility?
2: I do know that facility. Oh,
1: okay, okay. Uh, I
2: know that facility because they were at some point looking at Cogen.
1: <laughs> well, sounds like they don't need it anymore. Uh, <laughs> they've got wind. Uh, so it's going to provide, well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, it will provide 25% of Exhaw's energy demands. Um, okay. My guess is that, that they say energy. So, I mean, in a cement plant like that, there's a lot of energy on the thermal side. Um, and so, you know, probably it's providing most of the electricity. Um, and, I, you know, what I like about this is, you know, we are at this is a case study of we are at the point of the market where. We don't need the subsidies. We don't need, um, you know, the incentives. This is truly one for-profit company and another for-profit company getting together and making a deal like this work. And it's it's not the first of its kind. There are many out there, uh, but I thought I would, you know, given it's two Canadian entities, it's, uh, you know, a client of ours in Transalta, I thought I would highlight it because I think it's a cool, a cool story and a good example of how we can have these, you know, bi-party bilateral agreements uh, my hope is we see it one day in the RNG space and, you know, all of this where we get to a more of a, you know, private industry driving it free of, you know, incentives. So really, really cool story. And, and you know, another good news uh, partnership in the space.
2: Yeah. And I I, I mean, it's uh, I mean, we, we obviously know Lafarge. We've worked with them, uh, at se- you know, several facilities and, you um you know, interesting to hear how Transalta is involved in this, and I think they're just—I mean, Transalta themselves are so forward-thinking. I mean, as you mentioned, they're a client of ours, but uh, and we don't deal with them on every uh, every technology, of course, that they're uh, they're working with. But you know, they've got wind, they've got battery storage, they've got—I'm not sure if they're doing the solar PV side of things. Obviously, the cogen and power generation. Um, so it just shows like they're really forward thinking and they're thinking about all the different types of technologies that people can use. And uh, obviously that's going to differ based on people's geographic you know regions and places and so on. So, uh, no, that's cool. That's great.
1: And my, my humblest apologies to the people of uh, Alberta, Akshaw is uh, between Calgary and Banff. So when you make that beautiful drive and you start to enter the mountains on your uh right hand side on the north end of the highway you see the lafarge facility in exile the Exhoft. it's uh a colleague of ours his wife is not a big fan of it but uh it's, <laughs> now i can place it in my head i've been by there so very good and now is the time um on our ra- round table where we have our face off we bring in our content uh creator producer extraordinaire mark charbonneau to uh officiate our face off uh,
0: mark welcome to the show hello can you hear me loud and hear loud. you Excellent. you're sporting
2: your mustache again by the way mark yeah
0: I'm, i can't I can't make up my mind i keep i'm like a chameleon i tell you just keep switching <laughs> it up right i'm living i'm living vicariously through your facial hair Mark. fair <laughs> enough fair enough so I figured um, with the uh, Super Bowl approaching, you um, right. would uh, tackle the topic of football, which is often polarizing. A quick story, um, I actually played high school football, and my mother was completely against it. Uh, but oh. my father was a football player. My father played at uh, Mac and then had a, actually had a tryout for the CFL. He played for the Stampeders for a little while, okay. then ended up coming back and uh, becoming a teacher in St. Catharines. So. <clears throat> wow. Um, so my so my mom was against me playing high school football. Um, although she and she did uh, in the end allow me to. So it it is a polarizing topic. So some parents are like, nope, you will not be able to play. And uh, so I figured we would uh, use that, and then the Super Bowl, of course, uh, this weekend. Right. Um, do you guys have a team you're going for, or no? Do you even? Is it even a-
2: I, I am not a football fan. I will be honest. Uh, I love sports. I don't yeah. watch that many. like I mean, I'm for 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 our listeners who are uh, who listen in fairly frequently, most people know I mountain bike and road cycle. And so I work watch the whole World Cup season and mountain biking. That is kind of my thing. That's probably the only sport I watch. Uh, of course, Fallon loves the Raptors, though, although she's sort of tuned out this year, but most of the time I'm kind of sitting alongside her watching the Raptors games as well. So
0: fair enough. And Matt,
1: I, I grew up in a massive NFL uh, family. Uh, I, until two and a half years ago, I was a big uh, Pittsburgh Steelers oh, wow. fan. You know, to the extent that I, for some reason, had a tape measure. Uh, from <laughs> you get all this kinds of paraphernalia. Um, I will watch with friends this weekend. Um, I haven't picked. it It's so hard to attach yourself to the two teams to yeah. the, the Bengals and the and the Niners. So. Um, as an AFC guy, I probably will pick, you know, AFC North guy. I'll probably cheer for the Bengals.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah, same thing. I don't have a, a team. Actually, I've never had an NFL team. I've, you know, I've, I watch NFL, uh, like not avidly, but I've just never had, I guess the bills would probably be my, my team of choice. Cause it's so close, but um. Yeah, hockey has always been my sport. So
2: i i I've almost always watched the 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 halftime show for the Super Bowl that I've always watched. That's, that's always fun. One. And the other piece that's really fun to watch is all the commercials, the U.S. commercials typically. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This uh, this halftime show is going to be very interesting. So it's a sort of our our generation's uh, like pop music for sure. Who is it? it it's um Dr. Dre, Eminem, um, uh, Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige, and uh, uh, I think that's it. And Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg.
2: Yes. That's, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: The great 10 version of me is going to be very, very excited. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah, it's, going to be, it's going to be interesting to see. So uh, anyways, let's. Uh, I'll let Lisa call this one heads okay. or tails. So go what, ahead is,
1: what is the debate topic?
0: Football con- in general. Oh, pros and yeah, pro, cons. Pros and cons of football. Yeah. Right, cool. So Lisa, go okay, ahead. So I'm call gonna,
2: I'll call heads like I usually do.
0: Okay. I dropped that one, so I got a spare here. <laughs> heads, okay. Cool. It is heads.
2: Okay. okay. Oh, man. How do I want to take this? Okay. I'm going to take a pro. All right. I'll take the pros. The pros of, okay. Yeah, I'm going to take the pros. Okay. So, so although I'm not a football fan, uh, I do think that team sports and sports in general are amazing for anybody you know, regardless of your age and the more, you know, active you can be, the better it is for your physical and mental health. So a huge proponent of that. So that's why I'm taking the pro side. Um, so obviously there's, there's some, you know, typical ones here, like, you know, obviously it promotes physical fitness. Everybody I think knows that uh, again, touched on the cardiova- cardiovascular and mental health benefits of football. Um, and again, I think, If I think of myself, uh, I raced motocross from, let me see, when I was 15 to my early 20s, I think. And I still say to this day, it kept me out of trouble. So for kids who, you know, have an outlet like that, that kind of creative, you know, outlet to kind of turn to, um, that's, that's sports oriented. I think it's great. Um, I think there's huge life skills to be gained from sports in general, and that can be from sports like mountain biking that you're doing on your own, but also as it relates to team sports with football, you know teamwork and just leadership and goal setting and kind of being cooperative with with your teammates. So there's a huge, huge plus to that. Um, the other piece that some people maybe think about, maybe don't think about with football is the scholarship opportunities. Um We actually have a family member right now who plays soccer and looks like they might actually be getting a scholarship in Europe. And so, not only is going to he going to be able to play a game that he absolutely loves, he's also great in school. And so, the fact that he'll be able to combine those two things, I think, is just fantastic and is just a huge life experience. And I, I know that there's a, there's a big, uh, we'll call it negative, that a lot of people think about with football, which is CTE, which I think stands for, let me make sure I get this right here, chronic, traumatic, I'm going to say this wrong, but... Ensophilopathy, something like that. Ensofol- but, but, I, <laughs> I I don't know what I don't know how to say it. Maybe Matt knows how to say it. Encephalopathy. That's it. That's okay. it. And you know, I think although there's been a ton of focus on that in football over the years. I think the reality is most people know when they choose a sport, whether it's something like motocross or mountain biking or skydiving or football, there's risks. And so if you're willing to take the risk, then I think, you know, it's your decision and it's completely up to you and go ahead. You're right. So I I give it a big thumbs up. Uh, It's a it's a good sport. All right.
1: Well, last time we were together, I had to argue uh, the pros of pet ownership. Um, And And how's that going, by the way? And (laughs) when one hands down, both bunnies are still alive. uh, (laughs) um, But uh, in this case, uh, I have fallen on my my true side of the the opinion Uh, i did say i was a steelers fan i fell in love with the steelers in 1996 when they lost to the cowboys in the super bowl and up until two and a half years ago i was a fan a big ben roethlisberger fan um just retired great career um but i have walked away from the sport uh because i i can no longer uh put my eyeballs in support of their ratings which then drive their revenue and that's for two primary reasons uh, one, as we all know, is a very dangerous sport. You talk to anybody who's played it uh, and, and they have some kind of lasting injury. And the average, I think, career of an NFL player is like two and a half or three and a half years. It's really short. Um, and so many of them don't uh, you know, even make enough to really sustain themselves into their post career. Um, and, and, and the union and the, the pension support is not great uh, as much as the current players make a boatload of cash. Um, they don't, you know, necessarily support their retirees, and there is no guaranteed contracts. Unlike other sports where there's a guaranteed contract, uh, they don't have that in the NFL. So if you're cut, the money dries up. Um, and so yes, you can say they went in eyes wide open. That's true, uh, but you know it, it is still a very dangerous for sport. And the key part, and Lisa brought it up, thank you, Lisa, for teeing it up, is the concussion (laughs) story. And unfortunately, concussions, you know, lead to a lot of damaging stuff. And it's not unique to football, but it is enhanced in football. And, you know, the mental health issues and the stories of suicide uh, are far too rampant for post-NFL players. And what really drove me to walk away from that um, and continue to watch the NHL, where there is also head injuries, is one of those two leagues, I feel... And this is totally my own opinion, uh, I feel has has addressed that and is trying to change the game to address it. Uh, And that's the NHL, where I don't know if the NFL is they may not have the same ability to change it. Fundamentally, the game is we're not. Nobody's proposing to switch to flag football, I don't think. Uh, But I just feel like they're putting their head in the sand. They're they're stuffing away money to fight lawsuits uh and just you know kind of push that away and deal with it uh, when it comes in the courts and so i think that's issue number one is how dangerous it is and and the the head injuries and the knock-on effects and yes uh the nfl players are adults and they understand it but those decisions to go into football and to kind of you know that that's made at a very young age right and so by then you know it's almost too late you get sucked into the friday night light culture and it's like no this is where i'm going And it's the cumulative effect of the head injury. So that's number one. Number two, and and this one is, um, um, some might say this is a bit of a reach, but um, if you look at the demographics of the players versus the demographics of the head coaches and the owners. I think there is unfortunately um, some significant bias. Uh, most of the players are African-American. Most of the head coaches look at the Brian Flores story right now. There's a whole story around, you know, claiming racism around that. They have a rule to drive, you know, more hiring of, of you know, coaches of color not really working and many of the owners, not all, but many of the owners are old white dudes. And um, so I think there's some inherent inequity in that. And so for those two reasons, um, as Kevin O'Leary would say, for those two reasons, I'm out. Uh, and so <laughs> those are my reasons not to support <clears throat> it. I will watch it this Sunday. Uh, but I will go because uh, we have new friends who have immigrated from Mexico. He's a big uh, Dallas Cowboys fan and they've offered Mexican food and they live around the corner. So uh, I can I can I can drink tequila and Mexican beer with them, stumble home and have some good food. And
0: uh, he wants to watch the game. If it's on, I'll watch it. Wow. That, uh, you went deep there, like long, yeah. I guess you should say, instead but of deep. Did I go long? Sorry. would yeah, yeah, no, no, not long, <laughs> Um That just went to a whole different direction than I thought it would. And I think I got to go with Matt on this one. I'm, I'm uh, you convinced me. Down with football, I guess.
1: Two in a row. <laughs>
2: yeah. I I was going to say, he he definitely put up a really good good argument. So, good on you, Matt. And I was prepared to argue the con side. And for those people that are interested, like, take a look at Wikipedia's page. This whole CTE thing, this head injury thing, is, like, crazy. Like, I would never – I took the pro side because it's, like, I'm pro sports and team sports and that sort of thing in general. But, uh, like, this is ridiculous. Like, former players with CTE confirmed post-mortem, there's, like, 50-some-odd players here – uh, deceased players suspect of having had CTE. I don't know these names. You guys probably do. Curtis Brown, Jeannie Hickerson, uh, Lawrence Phillips, Jim Ringo. There's another uh, living former players diagnosed with CTE, reporting symptoms that are consistent with CTE. There's like maybe 30-some-odd. Okay. And then this is where it gets crazy. Listen to this. Former players listed as plaintiffs in lawsuits against the NFL for concussion-related injuries received after playing and the NFL reportedly reached a settlement in 2013 with about 4,500 former players or their estates. This current list contains fewer than half that number. That's on my screen. It's crazy. Like it's it's a real issue. So, it's
0: big business, though, right? So they uh, they'd rather pay the fines or, or whatever lawsuits they have and just keep making in billions and billions of dollars. I mean, they're not they're not going to stop lining their own pockets, right? Have you seen the Aaron Hernandez documentary? I'm sure you probably have, uh, Matt. I haven't no no okay um yeah I, is I, it about
2: that mark is it yeah. best he, yeah okay yeah
1: the uh the will smith movie on the same topic is also quite good yeah
2: that one was yeah. good yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah 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 so cool well um i'm glad we're in a much safer industry uh in the, <laughs> the energy world um so thank you both uh this is always fun hopefully our uh, listeners get a little bit of education and a little bit more entertainment out of our time together Uh, Always fun until uh, we meet again in a couple weeks. Uh, Stay safe. um, Skate with your head up, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, guys.
2: Thanks, Matt.
0: Bye, everybody.